G'day, my name's Chris and this is your weekly tech vibe. In today's episode, in today's episode I'm gonna do a deep dive into projector screens. What to look for, what size to buy. That and more right after this. Welcome everyone, I hope you're well. My name's Chris and this is Weekly Tech Vibe. On today's episode, I'm gonna give you all you need to know about projector screens, what to look for, what to avoid. And for those new to the channel, uh, you can come see my home theater uh, up here somewhere, okay? And as always, consider subscribing because I do awesome content like this and I'm currently doing like a giveaway. So if you like one of my videos, subscribe and put in hashtag comment like um, hashtag winner, you can win. All the details are below. Uh, December 9 is the cutoff. Good luck. First up, types of screen to fit within your budget. Now, you've got a lot of choices from cheap to really expensive. From budget-friendly methods like projecting onto a white wall or by using uh, specialty paint like Goo, you can also build your own screen if you're a DIYer. These options only cost a few hundred dollars and will give you surprisingly good results. Then, in the consumer area of the market, you can get a good screen for about $500. This is what I did when I purchased it from eBay or any online store. And all you do is assemble it over an hour or so and boom, you've got a 110 inch screen in your home. For the money, you can either get either a fixed screen or that you can install on a wall, or if you like, you can get like a manual pull up and uh, pull up or pull down screen that you can put in any room in any time you want to. So next step is what I would call prosumer level. This is truly, I believe, about paying for a brand name more than anything else, sure. Motorized drop-down screens in this bracket price, like about two to three thousand dollars, are warranted. But you know, realistically, the same screen that you're paying five hundred dollars for is what they're paying for you, and then they mark it up. So just remember, when you get an upsell in the home theater shop, okay. And then lastly, not least, you've got professional screens with all the bells and whistles, like motorized borders high-end materials, and eye-watering prices to match. These things cost about $30,000 and up and are custom-made. So just a quick word on the different types of screen designs like fixed frame, tripod, pull-down, motorized, and recessed, all naturally have their place and which one will be right for you depending on where you're planning on putting your screen. So will it be a shared common room or do you want to project it for protected from the kids? and the grubby little fingers? Or is it just okay to um, put into a dedicated home theater like this? I did have a motorized drop down uh, in my last house, and that was fine, but over time, the edges started warping and curling. It wasn't a big deal, but it really did annoy me because it will cause focusing issues on those areas of the screen. Now, if you want to have a great picture every time, definitely go for a fixed screen. Brand-wise, there is a lot of different names out there, but common ones that you will come across include screen techniques, elite screens, screen innovations, and Stuart screen, like the really high-end ones. So let's start with a little tool to help you decide. First question, how much am I going to spend? Less than $200, that's like a blank wall, screen paint, or do it yourself. There's, I've compiled a list of videos down beneath, so if you wanna go check them out, please do. Under $2,000, you're gonna to go to like eBay um, or an online store. And if you're lucky, you can actually go to a bricks and mortar store and find one there for about less than $2,000. The third one is obviously more than $2,000 and giddy up. 
Get on down to your local home theater store and view some great screens, which they'll gladly install for you. Um, and I'll leave that type of screen, you know, fix or pull down. That decision, the rest of you. Next step, screen materials. Here you've got six choices. Paint, spandex, yeah, you heard me. Vinyl, fabrics, canvas, and specialty light rejecting materials. Let's go over the pros and cons of each. So starting off with paint, it's the cheapest, it's easiest to keep, and it's not bad if you like to use screen goo and contrast borders. Unfortunately, unless you can jazz up that border, it's gonna look cheap, as it really is like uniformity and pop will just be lacking. Spandex, a lot of do-it-yourself types are choosing lycra material because it's actually acoustically transparent, more on that soon, and it costs like just $15 per meter, so a 100-inch screen only costs you like $50. You need to do some basic carpentry um, tools for the frame and have some good woodwork skills. And that will determine how good looking your screen is and performs. Vinyl is very common. In fact, it's most commonly used in home theater screens such as this one. Color uniform is great. Design of the screen and the borders means that it's easily tensioned and smudges from wayward kids are easily cleaned off. Canvas, as mentioned earlier, is acoustically transparent and um, in the screen in the business, we call this AT. They're a great option if you can afford them. Think of when you went to the cinema and you noted the lack of speakings at the front of the auditorium. You know, like were the actors talking to each other and the voices emanated from the right spot at the right time? Well, this is made possible by having like micro perforations in the screen to allow the speakers to fire the sound through the actual screen material. Of course, you don't have to have an acoustically transparent screen, but your screen size might be limited due to the ideal placement of your center left and right speakers. Dolby has a guide to where you should actually position your speakers in a room. So you just can't go by the biggest screen that your room can handle and then push your speakers out to the very far edges of the room. No, no, no. Doing this will make the sound boomy and things will reverberate, distort or underproduce frequencies. And this localized sound will, um, will happen is a, a smooth pan will go from like, like with a helicopter, will go from that speaker to that speaker to that speaker. It'll just be disturbing. It won't be any good, so don't do it. Having an acoustically transparent screen means that you place your speakers in the correct spot, either through purchasing in-wall speakers or allowing for some dead space between the screen speakers and your rear wall. As sound needs to pass through them, it will reduce the volume just ever so slightly, but easily overcome by adding a few little decibels on your amp. This is what great home theater looks like, and reviews and interviews I've seen all home known the same that it's the biggest wow that you can actually achieve. And the last material you purchase, it's specialty light rejecting materials. Now, these come in different formats from dark and gray versions designed to, for some light in the room. They improve the blacks and contrast, but are needed if you can control the light in your room. A rather recent invention is special Venetian screens that only allow light from an acute angle, typically designed for zero distance projectors. These screens have thousands of like tiny little lines that reflect light from one direction and rejects all else coming in from it. Seen here at the Melbourne Hi-Fi show last month, these screens can be used in living rooms with daylight or artificial lights and are amazing. These light projecting screens do have their negatives though, and that is that the picture can look a little flat 
and not pop because of the reduced light being reflected back. Uh, you can overcome this by bumping up your projector's lumens and increasing color and saturation, but that will degrade your projector sooner and also run it hot. So the sound from the fans might be annoying for some, like me. And before I forget, a super important aspect to screens is black borders. Without them, your picture won't look as good and a little bit washed out. So be sure to get one that has black absorbent sections. The best material for this is velvet. Pull up and down screens tend to have black painted sections, which are okay, but nowhere near as good as black velvet. So the next question you need to answer, what material am I looking for? Cheap option and easy to care for is paint or lycra and spandex. Vinyl with black backing is the next most common screen of choice. And acoustically transparents are great but expensive and can suffer from hot spots. More on that later. And if light control is an issue, then light rejecting screens are great for those thinking of doing big screen stuff in common living areas. Now, before I go any further, we need to talk about screen gain and hotspots, but hey, if you're enjoying this, have you considered subscribing? I do tech and home theater stuff and um, I really, really love it. If you could smash that like button, hit subscribe. I put videos out every Wednesday and Friday and doing this helps me a lot and the channel especially. So thanks in advance. All right, so what do I need to talk about technical stuff like screen gain and hot spots? Well, it's all about the room you're gonna be projecting in, seating arrangement and typical uh, well, type of material that you select. An important property of any screen is its gain. A projector screen works by reflecting light back from the projector to the audience's eyes. The brightness of the image reflected back off the screen surface is measured in units of gain and gauging the reflectivity of that surface. So the gain number represents a ratio of light that is reflected back from a surface, um, from, a, from a light source. So in this case, a projector. So for the more technical out there, this ratio is in relation to the light reflecting off a block of either barium sulfate or magnesium carbonate. And they're the industry's standard for a gain of one. To measure gain, what they do is they find the brighter spot, generally like the very center of the screen, directly in line with the projector. This is known as a zero degree viewing angle. And as you move to either side of this position, the brightness of the projected image may start to diminish. A viewer outside the viewing angle, also known as the viewing cone, also sees the image with less brightness than the audience members who are inside that cone. Oh, and are you like me and you like to sit in the sweet spot in cinemas? Put your comment below and let me know because goodness knows I don't like being too close. So a gain measurement greater than one means the image projected back off the surface is brighter than the image being projected at it. For example, a projector screen with a gain of 1.5 will project light 1.5 times brighter than, being, than the lights coming at it. Or put another way, if we had a thousand lumen projector, what you get back would be 1500 lumens. Sounds magic, right? Especially for those projectors that don't have a lot of lumens coming out of in the first place. So the screen achieves this by focusing the light in a more narrow reflective angle, and instead of it evenly being spread across the entire screen. And this is why higher grain screens and curved screens have a smaller viewing angle and are more prone to hot spots. See here in these photos, the first one with the blue projected section, um, you've got a hot spot bang in the middle of the screen. 
And now this is relative to where you are sitting. So take a look at the second photo, same screen, but photo is taken at a slightly different angle. And notice how the hotspot has moved. How do we avoid them? First, select a game that works for your environment. You only need a high grain screen if you're going to be showing 3D content, as most projectors effectively half the lumen output to rapidly uh, switch between the left and right images. And they close like one shutter of your 3D glasses. This is what my Panasonic A8000 does. And watch what happens when it does it. Annoying, right? Well, not as annoying as watching Titanic in 3D to discover you inserted the wrong disc and watch half the movie in 2D. Okay, third question. What gain shall I buy? If you control light in your home theater, don't go above 1.2 and only go higher with extreme caution. If, so if you can't stop light bleeding in it is. So screens with a gain of one or less won't have hot spots or those brightness issues. And overall picture uniformity will be perfect. All right. Last section, what screen size and aspect ratio should you buy? Probably the biggest question, really. Well, this comes down to a few factors and they're all personal. So listen carefully and know that what I'm about to tell you is not black or white, right or wrong, okay? Let's do this. The most basic and good starting spot is your room size. The confines of your walls and the distance you sit from your screen will determine its size. TSX reference that uh, the ideal sitting position is 1.5 times the screen's width. So if you've got a room that is six meters deep, then your sitting position will most likely be about 4.2 meters from the screen, giving your screen size of 100 inches or 2.5 meters. Now remember, this is a personal thing and THX is doing it based upon viewing angle. So remember the screen gain stuff and hotspots? Yeah, so now it's all coming together, yes? Right, so for context, my screen uh, to my first sitting position is actually 2.5 meters. And then the second row is 4.3 meters. So for me, the first row is about right, whereas the second row, I feel it's too far away. So it's very personal. Go to a store, go to a friend's house, sit in different positions and ask them what size the screen is and how far away you are. You know, use that scientific method where you're stepping out your strides. That's, that's, that will work. Okay. Next factor in determining size and aspect ratio is what you like to watch. Will it be sports, TV shows or movies? The latter means bigger and wider with the former being smaller and your normal 16 by nine format. If you don't, if you want to know more about aspect ratio, I've got some really good videos up here. I suggest you go check them out. You go do that now and then come back here. So promise you, you won't be bored. Pretty awesome. So where was that? A big home experience, go for a 2.35 to one aspect ratio. Most movies are transferred to disc or streaming media in 16 by nine with black bars at the top and bottom of the picture. As you know, most projectors and TVs are also 16 by nine. So when they do this, the black sections are overshot onto the black borders, not seen on your 235 to one screen. So you get a beautifully filled picture that's huge, impressive, but this is assuming that you're okay at adjusting your projector with what is called constant image height. So this refers to setting your projector to always zoom in or out so that the top and bottom uh, sections of the screen always meet up with the black bars. So when you display 16 by nine on a 235 screen, you're gonna have black borders at either side. So it's easily fixed just by putting either some black curtains on there or borders. And again, it's about the case. What 
what do you enjoy? Do you enjoy movies and you seldom watch TV or play games? This won't be an issue, but if you do watch them and you only occasionally watch movies, then a 16 by 9 screen is what you need. And hey, flip side here, instead of doing constant image height, you're going to get, like me, black borders at the top and the bottom of your screen. And again, we're already used to this, but in terms of fixing this with borders, doing top and bottom cropping is a lot more challenging and harder to achieve. So always fit for purpose, choose the right thing. All right, and little shout out, don't you dare overscan, that is zoom your picture to fill your 16 by nine screen with that beautiful 235 picture. Just don't do it. All right, clear as mud, 16 by nine or 235. All right, know this top tip, you can actually get a bigger screen than you would for a 16 by nine. It's vertically, it's not as large and films tend to be shot in thirds. Meaning the characters occupy just one third of the screen so your eyes aren't darting backwards and forwards so much. Yeah, awesome tip. Now, next part of selecting your screen size is your projector. Oh yes, just to complicate things even more, you need to know what your projector can do in terms of throw. That is how far it has to be from the screen and how many lumens it can output. Most projectors have lens memory, so placement within the is completely fine, but in general, the further away the projector is from the screen, the less light that will hit it. So projectorcentral.com has some great tools, look down below and it will tell you how far your projector needs to be from the screen. But in general, the closer to the screen, the better. All right, so budget side of things, projectors with fewer lumens have less zoom. The other end of the spectrum, you can get them as far back in the room as you like, okay? But point being, if they don't produce a lot of lumens, you can't produce 150 inch image. It's just not gonna cut it. All right, the takeaway I really want you to get from this video is that some people prefer to be closer to the screen, others not so much. Why? It's about the size of the image that is filling the perceived visual field. Too close can be intense and overwhelming, whereas too far and the picture becomes, well, small and just meh. So last question to answer yourself is, what will determine your screen size and aspect? TV shows, games and sports go to 16 by nine, movies 235 to one. How big is your room? There's no use buying a monster of a screen if your speakers will block part of it or worse yet, you can't even fit it into the room. And no Ross, pivot doesn't help. Here we go, pivot. 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 How many people um, you hope to fit in your room? Remember the distance from the screen is a personal thing and that 1.5 times the screen width is only a recommendation. And finally, the projector you have or are planning on buying will affect the screen size. So cheaper ones, like I said, have fewer lumens, they can't fill a big screen. All right, so just be wary of that. Go for at least a thousand, thousand five hundred lumens at least. So, a few bonus tips for you, those who are still watching in this, what, 12 minute mark or something like that. When you go out shopping for screens, it should have minimal texture, be uniform in appearance with no creases or bumps or protrusions. The color should be neutral, unless you're getting like one of those light rejecting versions. And it should have a decent size with the borders of at least three to four inches to help the picture pop. And after hearing all this, and you're still going to have to do some home theater homework, okay? So I wanna hear from you. Put your comments down below. Let me know what you found useful, what you'd like to know more of, or answer your questions. 
Okay, so that was a really long episode. If you're listening to this point, well done. Thanks for listening. Don't forget that you can find me on YouTube. So if you want to see some of the visuals in today's episode, find me over there just by looking up Chris Vanistock. Otherwise, you can find me on Twitter, cvanistock, and also Instagram. Same sort of thing. My Weekly Tech Vibe is produced by Chris Vanistock with music by DJ Quads. If you do anything, please consider subscribing, leave a review on iTunes, and... Hey, stay techie.